Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's, it's, we're going to have a capital campaign start this morning after the gospel reading, so get your checkbooks out. What a great passage to remind us of true generosity. I, I just have a few personal remarks before we start uh, the text today and just wanted to share a few things from my heart. First of all, uh, so many thanks to all of you who served and helped prepare Church of the Redeemer for this past weekend with a consecration service and all the celebrations and, and, and activities around. It was really a very special weekend, I think, for the whole church and even our diocese, and grateful that there were bishops and folks from other parts who came to be a part of this and got to witness the the great gift that Church of the Redeemer is. We're very grateful. Thank you for many of you for your generosity um, in gifts to us. This ring is a symbol of that, and wherever I go now in ministry, I take the generosity and the love of this church. There's a a family in this church where the husband lost his wife a number of years ago, and she was, um, they were married on this weekend, the November 5th, 6th, 7th weekend, and he gave their original wedding ring and her wedding ring, she's deceased, into this ring, the gold, and very, very special. So grateful to you all. Um, Sorry. Many thanks to my family who came. I am grateful for your sacrifice to fly here and be here. It meant so much. And the worship service Friday night was amazing. It was just a celebration of God's goodness. And many thanks to Jonathan Munyakazi and Jeff Weber for preparing and serving the East African choir and the Sudanese choir. It was just a glimpse, a foretaste of the heavenlies that we got to worship together as every tribe, tongue, and nation. Oklahoma State won yesterday, so I just had to get that in. I'm sorry. I'm also grateful for my dear friend in Kinyarwanda, we would say, in Shuti Yanje Magara, Bishop Manasseh Gahima over here, and we'll have Bishop Manasseh bring greetings in a few moments. So, Bishop Manasseh, we're very grateful for you and for taking all this time to come here. And Bishop Alexis was with him. Um, One of the things about the service, if you noticed, um, they carried me in, but I outweigh both of them together. So it really wasn't a true carry-in, but that's a a historic tradition that um, the bishop who was elected in the early days of the church, it was a death sentence. They knew that they would probably be martyred for the faith, and so they would literally have people hold them so they couldn't run away. I was tempted a few moments. I had my keys in my pocket, but thank you for uh, remaining faithful. Um, Even today, we hear of bishops in Nigeria who are kidnapped. Once a year, we hear a story of a Nigerian bishop kidnapped for their faith in some don't make it back, sadly. So I, I understand the, the weight of this. 
The singing and fellowship was so special. Um, I didn't want it to end. I wanted us to just stop and go get coffee and come back in. It'll play into my sermon a little bit later out of Acts. You'll see that. Um, I wanted our singing to reflect this call of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, that this is what we're a part of. And yesterday, I got to watch my oldest son on television, my hard-earned dollar at work. There he is. Yes, here we go. This is not an endorsement of Carolina to the Wake Forest fans in the room, not a public endorsement. Here he goes. He's enjoying his 15 moments of fame, for sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, yay. There we go. He cheated on two of those push-ups, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, best of all, this happened on Daylight Savings Weekend, so all of us here are exhausted from the service, we get an extra hour this morning. You look great and refreshed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, this new day, in which we get to sit under your word and gather as your people. We come hungry this morning, maybe physically for some of us, but all of us spiritually. We need your word. Your word is truth. It teaches. It encourages. It rebukes. It exhorts. It builds us up. We need you to speak to us. And we pray that as you speak to us, you may find receptive hearts. You would give us grace and not be distracted or despairing. But hang on your words. Your word is truth. And thank you for the love of Jesus. And so we ask you to bless our time in your word, in his name. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, this will be a focus. And I I just want to flesh out four important things um, and make the most of our time. We are continuing in this sermon series, Sent Out, as you can see on the screens. And it's a reminder that we are at the same time, all of us brought into the family of God by the grace of Jesus. And at the, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> so we're brought into the grace of God at the same time. And because we are brought into the family of God, he sends us out to be his ambassadors and missionaries. So then we gather and we scatter. This is what Dan was mentioning at the beginning with the processional and recessional. We come into the place to be renewed in the spirit, and then we are sent out to do the work of God in the world wherever we go. And this is a sacred rhythm, this gathering and scattering. It's a part of the church. It's a part of the faith. The illustration for me is very important to show the difference between just gathering or just scattering. But there's this beautiful dynamic that we see even in Israel between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So I want to put those pictures on the screen. The first sea is the 
Dead Sea in 2018 with Bishop Manasseh with us. Um, Angela Kay spent her birthday day in the sea, the Dead Sea, and the amazing thing about the Dead Sea is it's it's a very popular tourist thing in Israel. It's pretty amazing and spectacular. The other sea in Galilee that's famous is the Sea of Galilee. Sorry, I said that twice. That sea. But did you notice the difference? One was desert and the other one is green. One is dead and one is alive. And the impact of that is the Dead Sea has only rivers into it. The Sea of Galilee, on the other hand, has rivers in and out. So you see, there is this remarkable reality of the inward and the outward. We are gathered as God's people to come and to worship him, but we are sent out on mission to proclaim his goodness and his mercy wherever we go. We see this at work even for us here this weekend. If your life is always going, 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 you burn out. And if your life is just about gathering and studying and fellowshipping and you become inwardly focused, the church needs both the inward and the outward. And where it's unbalanced, it's unhealthy. It's very easy for the church to turn inward. It's very easy for those of you who are a part of this family to enjoy each other so much that you forget there are visitors to this service every Sunday and forget to reach out, to shake their hand and remind them that you were once a visitor. You were once a stranger to this room. Be one who welcomes strangers. It's the nature of our tendency to find people we like, huddle around them, get all of our people that are close and near and dear and hunker down. And yet the church is called to be on mission. What a beautiful picture. This Saturday, when our church was gathered in here from all of the diocese, there were faithful people here at Church of the Redeemer out in the parking lot serving food to those in need. It's a beautiful picture of inward and outward. And a healthy, vibrant church has both. So this morning we have with us a guest, Chantal Muhumure, who has come from... New Mexico. Now, Chantal was a part of Church of the Redeemer. So great to see you. One of the kindest, most beautiful people I know. Chantal, um, I remember the day that Josiah was here. She had already moved to New Mexico, being sent away, and Josiah stood almost where you stood and wept as he knew you would be leaving. Your family would be leaving us here in Greensboro to go out, and yet God is using you powerfully in the lives of women, especially women who've come from other places around the world. So I hope you'll greet Chantal after the service and be a part of her mission and ministry. So good to see you. You see, this is the the paradoxical nature of the kingdom. We think get, and God wants to give. Blessed are those who give and not just receive. So being sent out is not just we all go out and do mission But we gather in, we sit at the feet of Jesus, and then we are sent out in mission to the world. And the point 
of the church is not to get bigger, but broader. It's not just to get a group of people that we like or we trust and we enjoy into this room, but it is to be a church that's expanding because the gospel message is truth and it is salvation. So in Acts chapter 20, there's four things I want to say that I think are worthy for us to see out of this text. First of all, we see the Apostle Paul has been traveling around, and he returns. He returns back to Troas, and apostolic ministry involves visitation and collaboration. Paul revisits. In the book of Acts, we hear that he visits sometimes for days, for weeks, for months. He actually stayed in Ephesus for three years. The Anglican family is a very biblical tradition. Some would accuse us of adding the traditions of people. Some might say, do we have to really do all this stuff? Where in the Bible does it say to wear this stuff? I think that we would say it this way, that we look for all of our activities from the scriptures and from the witness of the church. And so one of the practices of the church is that the apostles pioneered it, visited it, and strengthened it. And so our bishops who fall under the inheritance of the apostles do the same. They pioneer, they revisit, they encourage, and they strengthen. We have been blessed at Church of the Redeemer by having a bishop who comes here, who works with our senior leadership, who encourages our staff, who participates in the life of this church. How many of you have been confirmed here at Church of the Redeemer? You were, that's a lot. You were confirmed by our bishop who came in and interviewed you and encouraged you and laid hands upon you as you joined this family and the broader family. That's that apostolic mission. Now, I have been asked by several of you, what do bishops do? Well, we'll figure it out together. <laughs> um, but I can say there's a few things that they do and why this is so important. The bishop serves as the connection of a church to the whole church. The bishop serves as a connection of a church to the whole church. You aren't just attending Church of the Redeemer if you're a part of this church family. You are a part of almost 50 churches and missions in the Mid-Atlantic and New England zip code. So you're not just a part of this house. You're a part of 50 other churches. And you're not just a part of 50 other churches if you're a part of this Anglican church. You're a part of a 1,000 churches all over North America, Mexico, the United States, Canada, and Cuba. You're a part of a bigger group than just Little Church of the Redeemer or the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. And you're even part of something bigger than that. You're a part of 43 Anglican provinces around the world 90 million Christians around the world worship in similar ways that you do. If you will dare to come with us to Rwanda, you'll sit in a church in Rwanda and you'll say the same things if you're bilingual in Kinyarwanda and English, or you'll know you're saying the same things. You will worship in the same way, in the same tradition that you do here. You're a part of something bigger than yourselves. Our worlds are often so small. You are a part of something much larger, 90 million. 
And you're a part of two and a half billion men, women, and children who identify with the person of Jesus Christ all around the world. You are a part of something amazing and big and beautiful. There were 16 bishops here in this room on Friday night and many others with regrets who couldn't be here to say not only ordaining me into the role of a bishop, but saying to you, you're a part of this family as well. Now, that's the beauty of the church. Certainly, sometimes we feel the pain of the church. We look at a, per, a particular church or a particular tradition, and maybe something that they do drives us a little crazy, frustrates us, disappoints us. That's what it's like to be in a family. We all have crazy Uncle Joe or Aunt, you know, whatever her name is. We all have that in our families. And yet, no one would say, I'm not in a family. You can't say I'm not a part of the church and understand Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the beauty of the church is its connection. The pain of the church is sometimes it disappoints, but nevertheless, that's the work of the gospel to transform us all progressively into the image of Jesus. It is amazing to see the church growing and significantly growing in places where to believe costs them their life. I met Christians in Iran a few years ago, and it's secret. They live in secret. They live in the shadows. And one of them hugged me before we left the meeting, and he said, I may never see you in this lifetime again because when I go back, I may lose my life for Jesus. That's a pretty powerful group that you're a part of. The body of Christ all over the world. One of the blessings this Friday night was there were pastors from in town, in Greensboro, in this service, who aren't Anglicans, as a reminder that we are part of something greater. The work of the bishop, the work of this apostolic ministry is to connect the church so it does not lose sight that we're a part of a very beautiful, large family. The second thing we see out of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul, who, again, is our inheritor of the bishop office, established and oversaw the ministry of communion. What were they doing that night in Acts chapter 20? It says they were breaking bread, the Eucharist, the symbol, this Thanksgiving meal. While the meal has certainly evolved over the years, informality or informality, it is always a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of the kingdom of God to come, now and the one that will come in fullness. It's the remembrance that Christ gave himself as a Passover lamb for you, a perfect spotless lamb, and it's a sign that we need his life in our life. Just as you'll run out of this service and you'll either go buy pastries in the greenhouse or you'll go pay for lunch somewhere, or you'll go home and eat leftovers from last night, whatever it is that you do, you need food to live. Jesus uses a meal to demonstrate you need his life in your life. You need to feed on him. And one of the songs I worked in at the end of the consecration service was the song that reminds us that we will feast in the house of Zion together as God's people. We need this heavenly meal 
to remind us of his goodness. There are two big signs of the church, baptism and Eucharist. And here we see in Acts 20, Paul leading the breaking of the bread, establishing this practice in the life of the church, even in early days, the breaking of the bread. So here we are with Paul out of Acts chapter 20, and today we're breaking bread with these Christians as well. He broke bread in Troas. We're doing it today. 2,000 years later, we're gathering together to break bread, to be reminded of this meal. St. Augustine once said, Recognize in this bread what hung on the cross, and in this chalice what flowed from his side. The third thing that we see is teaching. The Apostle Paul was a consummate teacher, and the role of an apostolic leader a bishop, but also those in the life of a local church, is to teach. We are to teach the truth. There is so much confusion this day about what is true. We live in a confused time, in a confu- among confused people. No matter how long we've been in the faith, we need to learn and be formed, be shaped by the Word of God. We need to be taught. I need to be taught. We are in consummate need of learning, but also application. We are going to be announced this fall as a pro-cathedral. Cathedra means the seat of the bishop, the place where teaching happens. But every church is cathedral-like in that every church should be teaching the truth. It is other clergy and laity that teach as well. Here at Church of the Redeemer, I'm amazed. We have so many gifted teachers And I believe more to come. But what we need so clearly is teachers who help us all, me included, to move from being hearers of the word to doers of the word. That's the true gift of teaching, that we shift from being people who just hear these things, but to also becoming people who live them says, Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. That's what I wanted to do on Friday night. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutyches, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Now, I know, some of you will think, I go on. I'm not going to look up and see who's nodding. That I go on and on. I get it. I understand. But for Paul, the reason he stayed late is the urgency of the gospel is so important. We need to hear teaching and not be unwilling to sit under it. Wherever he went, he taught. He spent three years, three years teaching in the hall of Tyrannus in the city of Ephesus. History tells us that St. Augustine taught three sermons a day. And I, after this, I go home and I tell Angelique, I'm so tired, I have to take a nap. Three sermons a day. Sounds like a Baptist pastor. Martin Luther wrote a book every two weeks. We are not starved for information in this world, but for truth. The scriptures are truth. 
This is the important role of leaders in the church. So Archbishop Foley, who I have the highest regard for, if you saw this in the service, he not so gently took a Bible and hit me on the head with it. He kind of knocked me with it, and he said, remember, you sit under the Word of God. This is the truth and the standard. Not you, not your ingenuity, not your feelings, not your reason, but the Word of God. And to quote the two great North American theologians who formed the group Indigo Girls, all the Gen Xers, raise your hand in the room. Yes. I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Maybe give me insight between black and white. And the best thing you've ever done for me is to help me take my life less seriously. It's only life after all. Yeah. Well, darkness has a hunger that's insatiable and lightness has a call that's hard to hear. And I wrap my fear around me like a blanket. I sailed my ship of safety till I sank it. I'm crawling on your shores. Some Gen Xers joined me, and I went to the doctor. Yeah, there we go. I went to the mountains. I looked to the children. I drank from the fountains, and there's more than one answer to these questions. Listen to that. There's more than one answer to these questions pointing me in a crooked line, and the less I seek my source for some definitive. Thank you. My generation at work today. It sounds good, it sings good, but it's so far from the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And that is what we need in this day. We've always needed it, but we need it in this day as well. That's the work of the church, to teach and live the truth of God. Lastly, we see in this text, and I'll close with this, the power of God. There once was a lady named Margaret, true name, true story. And at another church where we served, Margaret would come. And early morning service, 9 a.m., and about the time I would start preaching, I was the only preacher back then, at, at, at about the beginning of the sermon, she would fall asleep. And I won't call any names out. In my youthful zeal and arrogance, I plotted. I figured it out. Here's how I'm going to get Margaret. Maybe it's passive aggressive. I said, the next time she's going to fall asleep, I'm going to use her name in an illustration to shake her, wake her, because I've worked hard to prepare for this. So it's like she starts to nod off, and I would say, Margaret, and I went to Starbucks, And uh, so I prepared for it, couldn't wait. My sermon starts, her eyes start getting heavy. I say, Margaret, and wakes her up. And after the service, she came up to me and she said, I just want to apologize for falling asleep every week. She said, I have a congenital heart defect and I take medicine every morning. And it makes me really tired. (laughs) And so I just want you to hear this. If you need to fall asleep, fall asleep. There's no shame in falling asleep anymore. 
In this story, this young man, Eutyches, probably in his 20s or 30s, dozes off by a window and falls asleep, and he dies. And there are some scholars that would say he didn't really die. He just sort of got hurt really bad. But Luke, the writer of Acts, is a doctor who's writing this account. And of anyone, he would know the difference between someone injured and someone dead. I love it how we look back and we can often think we're so much smarter than the text. These poor primitive people who wrote these letters. This young man died. And the Apostle Paul lays on top of him, and he immediately springs back to life, and the Apostle Paul assures him, what's happening here? And I'll close with this thought. The Lord Jesus Christ raised the dead. The Apostle Peter raised the dead. A young girl named Tabitha was raised to life from death. The Apostle Peter, standing in the line of Jesus' ministry, doing the work of the kingdom, filled with the Spirit, raises this young man, Eutyches, from the dead. And you see in this text the result of the power of God. Where the word of God is preached and believed, where the bread of God is broken and shared, The miracles of God follow. The power of God brings great encouragement. The miracles of God testify to the truth of Jesus and the truth of his words. I have seen so many miraculous things happen here since 2008 when we started Church of the Redeemer. And I have this amazing feeling that we are just getting started. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.